thank you so much, Pastor CJ, for the opportunity and the, the ministerial staff for allowing me to share with you. I maybe should make one adjustment to what Pastor said. Those of you parents may or may not understand this, but for our children, we pre-approved potential spouses. Okay? Jennifer was pre-approved. I think we had maybe only one pre-approval for our son. Our daughter needed three. <laughs> but it's fine. The pre-approvals weren't necessary anyway because <laughs> they, they went their own way and God's leading and that's fantastic. Okay. So uh, anyway, praise God for his goodness in our lives and his blessing in our lives. Thank you, Pastor, again for the opportunity to share. And uh, thank you for being here tonight. Not to hear me because the message God has given me, I am convinced is for the Pentecostal church. And uh, this was developed over a short period of time. And what's a beautiful thing about it is, is I'm, I'm kind of like Amos in, in the Old Testament. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. And I'm not a pastor or the son of a pastor. But God over time has given me his word that is so powerful, and uh, that's what I get to share with you tonight, is his word. So if you, if you uh, take notes, uh, normally on a Wednesday night, I like to use a lot of scriptures and dig into the word. We're not going to do that. We're going to fly at about 40,000 feet at 700 plus miles an hour, okay? So, so it'll have to be fast, okay? But if you've got a pen and pencil and you want to take some notes, there are some main points, and you can take these home and let the Spirit drive them into your heart because that's the key. Uh, the title would be Finding the River. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 7, probably many of you, if not all of you, have this memorized. Uh, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. John chapter 7, 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, we're in your presence. And Lord, I thank you for this worship team. God, that has just led us into the most holy place tonight. Lord, and I pray that your word will be driven into my heart, to each one of our hearts. God, that, that once again, as we've come together, this time, oh God, will be fruitful because we've been in your presence, because we've heard from you, and we've applied your word to our hearts and our lives. And Lord, change our tra trajectory as of tonight, God, do it again, I pray. 
that our lives would be impacted, Lord, that we would be fruitful and faithful in the ministry of the kingdom. Lord, we thank and praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, I'm a third-generation Pentecostal, and the reason I am a third-generation Pentecostal is because on my dad's side of the family, although they were very godly people, they knew the Lord, they had not experienced and did not believe in the power of Pentecost. But praise God that two evangelistic ladies came to Jewel, Kansas in the late 20s, early 30s to start a church. And they came out to our farm and they noticed that my dad was crippled, could not walk. And when they asked my grandparents if they had any, any needs, they looked over at my dad and saw that he was uh, about six, seven at the time, saw that he couldn't walk. So they said, as you would say, well, can we pray for him? They agreed. And the next morning, my dad was totally well and was able to start school. That started a process that basically changed my whole family lineage on down to becoming believers in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so the reason that I share this with you tonight, this I'm not preaching necessarily at you, I'm preaching at myself. But as you pick ideas up, I want us to get so in tune with the possibility that the river in our lives has been lost. The river in the Pentecostal church has been lost. How can you lose a river? Judges chapter 2 verse 10 talks about the fact that after Joshua and the elders that were his peers had died, there arose another generation who knew not the Lord or the works that the Lord had done among His people, and as a result, they strayed. They, if you will, they left the river. And as a result, the river died in their lives. But if you look at the context, and how do we get this river back? How do we align ourselves with the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just in this building or in the new building, but in our lives outside the four walls when we meet together. How do we do that? Well, notice there's a concept here, and that is, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, thirst is the key to restoring the river in our lives. What is thirst? We know this more than just needing some water to drink. But this is a spiritual thirst where there is a passion and a hunger for God. God, we cry out, I've got to have just more of you. I've got to have more of your presence. I've got to have more of your power. I've got to have more of your anointing in my life that I would minister to the people around me. I need that river. And so how thirsty are we? Now Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, He said, come to me and drink of living water and out of your innermost beings, out of your in, internal spiritual life, would rise up a well springing forth of living water. 
There's John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. A well. But here in John chapter 7, Jesus is talking more than a spring. He says, out of your, my, innermost being, the inner part of our lives, our spiritual lives, there would flow rivers, plural, rivers of living water. Now I looked at it, we live about seven miles from the Missouri River. Here's the difference between a river and a spring or a fountain. A fountain will satisfy one, two, three, or five, or a dozen. The Missouri River is estimated to satisfy the water needs of 10 million people. That's the difference between a salvation experience that is just at that level and moving to the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There will be rivers that flow from us. That's the promise of the word we just read. So are we satisfied with the water fountain satisfaction or a river satisfaction? What's driving us in our spiritual walk with God? And see, the, the Spirit made an editorial comment. He said, Jesus spoke of this in verse 39 about the Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given. But the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was given. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you're going to receive power after that the Spirit uh, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There's going to be a power flowing through. There is a power when you step into a big river. That's the flow of the Spirit in our lives. So I ask myself, as we all must ask ourselves, how effective then is my witness? How effective is my witness? We were privileged to go to... Uh, uh, Evansville, Indiana, where our daughter and son-in-law just moved. And Joel Crumpton was there. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. He's a minister to the Atlanta homeless. And he's written a book on, uh, I think it's entitled, You Can Do the Works Jesus Did. And he shared an experience. In fact, he's had so many experiences of major healings, he says, I can't even remember them all anymore. And he says, I was in at a strip mall once and a quote-unquote glory bomb fell. He said I was, he was selling back scratchers to raise money for the homeless ministry. And he had sold out to his last, his last one and a lady standing at the counter where he had sold the previous one said, oh, I want one of those. Do you have any more? I'll help out the ministry. And he says, oh, but they're out at the bus. And so she says, well, I'll wait here for you. So he runs out to the bus. He's running out to the bus through the parking lot. And he's running past this uh, individual who's walking with a cane. This man is walking with a cane, and he can see he was in a great pain. He walks right past him, and the spirit said, why did you pass him up? I want to heal him today. He said he prayed last night that he would be healed. And he said, Joel says, without doing, a, uh, he did a full 360, boom, 180, and he turned the other way, went right back there, and he said, you obviously are in pain. Did you pray last night that someone would come, you would have healing? And in amazement, God, yeah. Well, he said, as Joel always says, 
He says, I have good news for you. The kingdom of heaven is come to you in this parking lot today. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And immediately the man had this amazement on his look. He said, something's happening. And, and, he, and Joel always says, okay, check yourself. Oh, bend over. He bent over and he says, how do you feel? Well, it's so much better. It's almost gone. And Joel said, in Jesus' name, deliver this pain. Be healed. And he said, check it again. The man checked it again. He grabbed his cane. He was going all the way to the ground, back in every which way. He's praising God. Boom. Oh, glory. Praise God for a miracle. And I want to take the time to go into his follow-up, because that's critical. Okay, It's not just about healings, but it's about the follow-up, bringing people to Jesus. But he, he leaves. He goes on. He goes on, and he gets back in. He sees the lady is driving off that wanted the other back scratcher. Okay. So he's standing there just, okay, what do I do now? And instead of driving out of the parking lot, she drives around, and she, he realizes that he is coming. She is coming back for an elderly lady who is clearly in pain. And so the car stops, and Joel walks over, and he says, as they were exchanging the transaction, and they were talking about, here's, here's the money, here's the back scratcher. It was, like, it was like it popped into his mind. Well, maybe Jesus wants to heal this lady too. Duh. <laughs> okay. And, and he says, Jesus just healed this man over here that was walking in with the cane. He wants to heal you. Good news today. The kingdom of heaven is come into this car today. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And these two ladies were both believers, and they started crying and weeping when this one lady was totally healed. The back pain was gone, and they were just rejoicing in this car. And, whoa, two miracles, two miracles. And just, just amazing. So the lady, lady goes off, and Joel says, okay, Back scratcher sales are over. Let's go back to the bus. He's walking back to the bus, and he sees a man sitting in a car, and it popped his mind. He says, Jesus wants to heal that man. And, and no, I've got healing on the brain now. And he says, okay, Lord, if, if you want me to go minister to him, have him say something to me. And then walked past, and a man yelled out, hey, you're selling back scratchers? <laughs> That's all you need, God. Okay. He says, he says, God sent me over here. You're in, are you in pain? Yeah, my knees, my, my ankles, my knees, and my shoulders are killing me. He says, well, Jesus sent me here. The kingdom of God is here today, and he's going to heal you. In the name of Jesus, be healed right now. And the man got out of his car, and he was starting to move around. And he said, whoa, whoa, in amazement. And, and then he said, well, are you... Are you totally, no, it's 90% gone. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Pain, go. And he started jumping, and he all around and back and twisting every which way, I guess, and carrying on, and his wife comes out. And she's trying to figure out, who is this man? <laughs> she's never seen her husband like this. And, and Joel realizes this is his wife. He says, has your husband been able to do this? No way. Because he was twisting and everything. And he says, well, Jesus has just healed me. Well, I want him to pray for me, too. I want to be healed, too. I've got this shoulder problem. And, and so he said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. 
And she started ra raising her arms and jumping all around in the parking lot. And I realized, as I was preparing this sermon, God gave me this illustration that I'd recalled from that Evansville experience. There were four dramatic, immediate healings. And there are some Pentecostals among us that haven't even seen one dramatic, immediate healing. But see, that's the river. That's what Jesus had when he walked the earth. That's what the disciples had when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they ministered. That's what the New Testament had, the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Four major miracles. This is the river flowing. And so I look, there's ten recorded healings in the book of Acts. In Jesus' case, in the four Gospels, there's 37 different healings. This is the river flowing. Not so that we can receive honor and glory. Not so that people will, will flock to new song because the presence of God is here. Yes, they will. But the glory goes to Jesus. He receives the honor. He receives the glory. His word is what needs to be confirmed in their lives. Because the scripture says, and, and he confirmed his word with signs following. That's the power of the river. Now to help us get a better idea of the river, turn over to Ezekiel 47, and we're going to read a few verses here. This is the river that Ezekiel sees that is the future river out of Jerusalem during the millennium reign. But, but I want to use this as a spiritual example to help drive home the point to us of what this river needs to be in our lives. And so there are three S's that the Lord gave me out of this passage of Scripture. I want us to consider the source of the river, the supply of the river, and the service of the river. The source, the supply, and the service. And in the, in the middle of the night, uh, uh, several weeks back, the Lord woke me up and it says, in the Pentecostal church, the typical Pentecostal church, I pray that Hillsong is not, I pray that my church is not one back in Kansas City, Liberty. But he says, sadly, it's the forgotten source. It's the ignored supply. And it's the unexpected service. We forget where the source is. We have forgotten. The next generation has forgotten and doesn't see. The ignored supply. We kind of see a little of the supply, but we ignore the total picture and the unexpected service. So let's see that in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. 
and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. And what the, what the Lord blew me out of the water with was this. Where did this river come from? Well, come from underneath the temple. And of course, we know what the temple represents. The temple was more than just a building with four walls, although how beautiful they were. But the temple represents and housed, if you will, the presence of the Lord. In fact, in the Mosaic tabernacle, above the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat, between the cherubim wing, wing, uh, wings, the, the, God said that His presence would dwell above that mercy seat, in that tabernacle. When Solomon built his temple, there was that inner inner sanctuary, if you will, that most holy place where the presence of God would be. That's why it's so significant. Chase the rabbit here. That's why it's so significant during the crucifixion and then the resurrection when the veil of the temple was rent in two. That means that we all can have access into that most holy place. The presence of God and you see, the scripture now states that we are the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to four walls. We don't have to go to a cherubim or to a box. But His presence now is in us. It's not above a, a golden mercy seat. It's in us. That's His presence. And John chapter 14, 17 says, The Spirit of truth would abide with the disciples. But when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, and not only be with you, He will be in you. In you. Not just with us, but in us. As we've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power. But what's the significance of the altar? Well, you go back to the Old Testament, we, know, we understand about the altar. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, they brought a sacrifice. As you know the story, Abel's was acceptable because it was a blood sacrifice as God required. Cain's was not because it was a grain sacrifice. But that was the altar. The first place the altar was mentioned is Noah built an altar. After the flood, he built an altar, a place of worship. Praise God for the worship team as you led us into worship because that, that's so much a part of leading us into that spiritual focus. But what is the altar? And here's, here's three points about the altar, the south side of the altar. This is where the river flows by. It's a place of death. A place of death. Most sacrifices, something had to die. In fact, God required the first fruits he said, even of their young men, they, weren't, they didn't have to die. They were redeemed. But that was offering. And there was always to be an offering of the first fruit. There was always to be a sin offering, which required the shedding of blood. The altar was a place of death. And I'm afraid in our generation, we don't like to sing about the blood. We don't like to sing about the old rugged cross. And it's hard for us to sing, I will cherish the old rugged cross like we used to. But we got to get back to the place where we die. The self has got to die. 
Ed Kleppinger's carnal nature has to die. In fact, Paul said, I have to die daily. This powerful man of God, this powerful missionary who had this powerful vision of God and the call of Jesus himself in his life. He says, I have to die. I have to die. I have to die daily. You see, my goals, my ambitions, my passions, my talents, they've all got to die. They've got to die. And what God gave me was that even in, when we're involved in ministry, the ministry has to die. Because there have been great ministries in the past, and I've seen it, and one I know about particularly, that was lifted up in pride before it fell. And that's the way Satan works. He'll, he'll bring pride into our lives, and we lower our guard because of who we are. We're proud. We lower our guards. And then there's a trap set. And the next thing we know, we fall into sin. We have to die. We have to die. The river flows by the place where you have to die. If we want the power of the river to flow, it's got to flow past, past the place in our life where we have to die. Secondly, it's a place of sacrifice. A place of sacrifice. Now on altars, besides animals, there was grain offerings, there was uh, meal offerings, incense offerings, there was bread offerings, even wine was offered on altars. But it was, a, it was a place where provisions and possessions were given up. Possessions were given up. The mere fact that you as a body of Christ raised the amount of money that you did for those floors for which we are really grateful. They're going to look really good. okay? But that was a sacrifice. You had to give up possessions. Something that you could have had. Some security that you could have had. But the river flows past the place of sacrifice. We will have to sacrifice. Now, what's interesting is I was, I was studying this. Uh, the Lord impressed upon me in the baseball world. You have a sacrifice fly, right? And you have a sacrifice bunt. And spiritually, there's an analogy for, for, for us there. The sacrifice fly is seldom, if ever, intended to be a sacrifice. It just so happens that somebody's on first, second, or third, and that long ball gets hit. But the goal is not to get out. The goal is to hit one over the fence, right? But as a result of the effort to hit one over the fence, you're out, but someone is able to advance. But then there's a sacrifice bunt where that batter knows that 95% of the time he's going to lay down that bunt and it's going to be slow enough that the pitcher can throw him out, but it'll advance somebody else. And that's the spiritual lesson I think that God is wanting us to realize. Because we live in a culture where we don't want to sacrifice anything unless it's for ourselves. But the sacrifice to advance someone else is nearly unheard of. And yet, the river from the throne room in heaven flows past the point where we make sacrifices. 
And sometimes we don't intend necessarily to help others when making a sacrifice, but the result is we're going to help others. And sometimes there's a sacrifice and we know we're helping somebody. But what's the purpose of the sacrifice? It's to advance that runner in the case of baseball, in the case of the spiritual river. It's to advance the kingdom of God. It's to advance the kingdom of God. And see, there's also another aspect of sacrifice. Sometimes we sacrifice what I call internal. In other words, we make a sacrifice and we're going to be internally blessed. By the mere fact that you came and you heard the worship tonight, you heard the word tonight, that was a sacrifice. You could have stayed at home. You could have done other things like 99% of the rest of Centerton did. But you came. That's a sacrifice. And you're going to be blessed in some way as a result of that. Your life can be changed as a result of that. So that's, a, that's that what I call internal. But then there's an external sacrifice where you go and it's purposefully designed to minister to somebody else. And that's one of the reasons why Glenn and I are here. God gave us, gave both of us, but it was born in, in my heart years ago to help pastors of small churches. Because I grew up in a small church. I know what it's like being around pastor in small churches. And God's always led us to small churches to help. That's sacrifice to help the ministry of the shepherd of the flock that God has given you. That's sacrifice. What do we sacrifice? Our possessions, our time. Saturday, we're going to sacrifice time. We're going to sacrifice our talents, our goals, plans, and ambitions. But, you know, tithing is really not just about giving 10%, and I'm a firm believer in tithing, okay? But tithing is really more than 10%. It's laying the foundation of sacrifice. God, I am willing to give at least 10% as a sacrifice because of who you are, as the first fruits in my life. But there's one other thing that God just impressed upon me. God also impressed, and this was difficult for me. You know, when you're retired, things are a little bit different. And in some ways, they're easier. In some ways, they're more difficult. But, but to sacrifice priorities, that's hard to do. We, all of us, have our priorities. We have things that we want to be doing. And God calls us to sacrifice our priorities. Because you see, when we can sacrifice our priorities, we will allow ourselves to be interrupted. And you look at the New Testament, and most of the miracles, I would guess, if you really analyze this, which I have not done, but if you analyze this, most of the miracles were interruptions to Jesus' plan for the day. And I just love the, I just love the Scripture because there's one that's an interruption of an interruption. Okay. You know, remember, remember the story, Jesus is walking along and suddenly Jairus, is, Jairus comes up and says, my daughter is sick, it's about to die. And so, okay, Jesus, I can imagine, maybe he didn't, but he veered off. Okay, let's go to Jairus' house. And then in the middle of this, the woman with the issue of blood stops the whole thing. And Jesus is interrupted again. The woman with the issue of blood is healed. And the interruption takes long enough that the servants come from Jairus' house and says, don't need to bother the master anymore. 
She's dead already. And you know, the beautiful thing about it is, what may be an interruption for us is never an interruption for God. He said, uh, we're, we started out there, we're going there. We're going there. Bring life back. You know the story. That 12-year-old girl was raised to life again. An interruption of an interruption. A sacrifice of our priorities. Thirdly and finally, uh, it's a place of spiritual focus. The second time in the scripture that the altar was mentioned, Abraham built an altar. In fact, in, uh, in chapter 12, verse 7, his descendants would be given the land of Israel. And as a result of building that altar, that was what the scripture tells us. Then in verse 8, he moved to Bethel, and there he built another altar, sacrifice. And uh, what is this? What is this building an altar? It's prayer. Prayer is a sacrifice of time, but it's also a sacrifice of focus. Prayer is costly because it takes time. Nobody wants to take the time to pray. But it's also, it's also hard because it's work. The reason it's work is because of focus. Have you ever been, and you, God, I'm going to pray, and then you, you kneel down, and you think, all these things you've got to do, you've got to force yourself to focus. But yet the altar is a point of spiritual focus. And the river comes past that altar. You see, in the modern-day church, the, the spiritual focus is right here. Praise God that your pastor has got the altar. Okay, these are altars to be used, but they're also symbolic of the fact that it's a place of death, a place of sacrifice, a place of spiritual focus in this church. Don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose that because that's where the river is from. And just some interesting thing, the altar is mentioned 346 times in the Old Testament, but only 23 times in the New Testament. In Acts, the altar is mentioned only one time. The word altar is mentioned only one time. But you know what it's replaced by? Pray or prayer. Prayer or prayer is mentioned 29 times directly and indirectly many times in the book of Acts. The New Testament church was always praying. Always pray. The word preach is only mentioned 22 times. The word teach is only mentioned 19. But the word prayer is mentioned 29 times. And you know of that 29 times, there's two avenues of prayer. One is our personal and family devotions. I, I trust that each one of us here tonight is, is doing that. But the other one is corporate prayer. And you realize that the 29 times that corporate prayer is mentioned that 18 times have to do with corporate prayer in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Only 11 have to do with private prayer. The first eight times, it was always, and they prayed. They met together and prayed. The power of corporate prayer. But see, the Pentecostal church has basically lost our desire to pray. Unwilling to make the sacrifice to pray. We want the river, but we've got to go back to the source. So this is my challenge that I believe God has called me, pastors, pray. Teachers, elders, deacons, pray. People of God, pray. Pray, pray, pray. The power of prayer. The evangelist I told you about, this is what he said, and I'm not there yet. He says, 
We as Pentecostals need to pray at least one hour a day in the Spirit. Pray in tongues one hour a day. But that's where the source is. That's where the river flows from. So my other two points, the supply, I just want you to realize the supply from a trickle under the temple to a mile and a quarter away. It went from a trickle to water, river, you could not walk in. The supply is there. Most of us Pentecostals are satisfied to go into ankle-deep water, and you'll have to read this for yourself, I don't have time to develop it, are satisfied to go into ankle-deep water. Glenn and I were biking down the little stream from Bentonville that heads to Bella Vista, and there's a park there, and it, I've seen it a hundred times, and you've probably done it, just like I've done it. What do you do? You pull off your shoes and you do what? You wade in the water, because on a hot day, that's real refreshing. The problem is the Pentecostal church has stopped with ankle-deep water. And God's calling us to go deeper. The Spirit led, this Spirit guide that led Ezekiel led him from ankle-deep water to knee-deep water to waist-deep water to water that he could not swim in. And just so we get to the end point here, realize that when you get to water you can't swim in, then you're resigned to the force of the river. You're totally in. Okay? You're wet. Everything around you is wet. You're subject to the force of the river. When we get moving in with the Spirit, and New Song, is, as we move in with the moving of the Spirit, we're going to get totally wet. And some of us are going to be looked at as crazy. But it'll be the river. Because the third point is the service Ezekiel was going through all this river, and what did he see? All he saw was the water. But his spirit guide led him out of the river to the bank. And what did he see there? We won't take the time to read it. He saw trees for food and for healing. That's what he saw. He missed that going out because he was focused on the river. But you see, God doesn't fill us with the power of His Spirit just to get that great feeling, the exuberance of swimming in, the, in the, uh, the Spirit of God in our services or even in private devotions, family devotions. But He gives it for a reason, for the healing. And so that was, a, that was the first thing He saw. The next thing He saw was the living creatures in the river and out of the river. So here's the points, and we're done. Four last points. What happens when the river flows from us in the spiritual sense? Our, aware, our awareness of service and ministry is heightened. God help us to pray every day. God help me to see the opportunities around. Not just to feel the fact I'm in your presence, I had a great worship service. Now when I walk out of here, Tomorrow, my place of employment and my neighborhood helped me to see the opportunities. Just like Ezekiel looked and he saw trees. He saw life flowing. He saw the impact of the river, not just the river. God help us to see that. Secondly, 
our ministry and service will increase within the church. There was suddenly fish that were just alive in this water, alive, that came from a trickle to this deep water in this river. Thirdly, it will reach outside the church. There's, there's going to be an impact outside the church to people. Creatures would come up and take life from that water. And fourthly, the culture will be impacted. Our culture would be impacted when the river flows. The area around the river will go from death and dry to life and abundant. And the scripture says only a few places will be dead. Wet marshes reserved for salt. But everything else is life. Pastor Cumming. Jesus, thank you, Lord. What a great word from Brother Clapping. Or this, this is something that is uh, near to my heart because we have spent um, numerous sermon series and a lot of time focusing on on the Holy Spirit bringing us to a point where we're total surrender so we can be emptied out and filled up. And that's, you know, we, we try very hard not to use church church ease on Sundays when we have more guests. But the but the simple fact of the matter is is we cannot produce as Brother Clevier spelled it, we cannot produce in ourselves anything that will change lives. But there's a source for lives being changed. And we can say that, know that that's God, but but the thing is, is we have to be willing to be that vessel. I've mentioned this several times as, as we, we get to where we give pet answers to things like, oh, brother, don't worry, God's got it all under control. God will do this. And many times we start taking those news for excuses why we aren't being filled and saturated and letting the Lord use us. And so... So to be that vessel, as Brother Kleppinger spelled out from God's word, is we just have to be willing to be be completely surrendered so that he can use as a vessel to let the river flow through us. So thank you so much. We want to spend just a few moments. We, um, we've we been trying to end before 8 o'clock so that, uh, you know, our normal time of, of releasing everybody is 8 o'clock. And I don't want to have another formal dismissal out of this. I'm just going to say that... Uh, as you feel released, if you want to visit, just please do that in the foyer. Um, make sure the doors are closed, not to disturb those that might stay and pray. But I know myself, I would like to spend time with the Lord and just let this word, as, as Brother Kleppinger started out with, Brother Ed started out with, is that the word would, would bury into our hearts, that it would, even tonight, before we leave, that we sell our hearts those things that the Holy Spirit are, are, is convicting us about, um, bring us to a point of decision. And so just find a place. And Nathan, if you don't mind clicking some of the lights off here up the front, so give us a, a little more focus on the Lord and not what's around us. Just take time, and then when you feel released, you can go fellowship the foyer, or if you must leave, uh, just uh, we love you and can't wait to see you again.